0: In Genesis chapter number 32, in verse number 22, uh, this is what we read. We, say, we read, the same night he, Jacob, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This passage of Scripture today is pulsing in me because where the Lord has my mind, my heart, my spirit right now is on this issue of identity. Um, it's a very popular word. It's kind of in vogue right now in the church, has been for a couple of years. But it's an important word because I want to submit to you that it's my belief that many Christians have no clue who they really are. They know that they have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. They know that along with that salvation experience, there is the expectation that they will live in some level their lives unto Him for His glory, for His name. Most Christians also understand that upon receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there is also a change in trajectory. There's a newness that is given to our lives. Paul wrote and told the church of the Corinthians, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things are becoming new. So we understand that it's not just some verbal prayer we pray, some religious little thing we do of asking Jesus into our heart and then we just live the same kind of life as those that don't know Jesus. We understand that that's not the case but I'm going to submit to you that I'm not sure that most people understand this as Christians. That God not only wants you to know Him but He actually wants you to know you. He actually is interested in you learning who He has made you to be and consequently who He's not made you to be. Because Jesus Christ came to set us free. Paul wrote the church at Galatia, chapter number 5. He said it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so it's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's actually a journey with Jesus by faith on the earth. And part of the delight of the Lord is to reveal not only himself to you, but to reveal you to you. And when you know who you are, and consequently, who you're not, you are able to enjoy him and glorify him without the religious misery, pressure, legalism, guilt, shame, and suffocation that so so many people let pass for their Christianity. So why am I talking about Jacob then? Because Jacob had no clue who he was. Jacob lived for the better part of two plus decades as a man under a false identity he was if you remember with me the uh, one of the twin sons of Isaac Jacob was one of the grandsons of Abraham and his story is helpful to all of us to know how does God bring identity to those of us that are a little hard-headed anybody hard-headed in the room Okay, good. I was going to say, I hope I'm not the only one. And I was, I was 24 years old before I got saved, but I was 32 or 30, probably 34 years old before I knew who I was. And so that was 15 years ago. I've been saved for 25 years, and I've only known for about 15 years who I actually am. And it's still being unpacked. And I want to tell you, this is for everybody in the room. You're not too old to where you say, well, this doesn't matter anymore. I'm looking at the calendar. I'm looking at the clock. I've only got X amount of years left. Listen, let's learn who we are for the rest of the days, however many we have. And let's live that life that God's assigned us under the glory of God. So let's get into the passage. I want to give you this message called A Beautiful Body Slam. That's the name of it because it's centered in a wrestling match, and it is a body slam from God Almighty onto Jacob, but it's beautiful. It's not violent to crush and steal and kill and destroy. It is intense in order to shake false identity out of Jacob and to make him yielded to receive his true identity. Now, there were some precursors to the slam. What does that mean? There were some things that led up to the passage I just read you. Let me give you a quick summary of Jacob's life up into this point. First of all, he's again the son of Isaac. He's the grandson of the great Jewish Jewish patriarch um, Abraham. His destiny was on his life, Jacob's, from the time he was conceived. God knew in eternity past what he wanted to do with Jacob. So, God had a purpose and he wrapped flesh and DNA around that purpose and its name was Jacob. So, Jacob was born in the world but what's interesting is he had a twin brother. And Esau was uh, Jacob's twin brother's name. And even in the womb, even in Rebekah's womb, their mom, they were fighting. The Bible says that they wrestled within the womb. When the boys were being born, Esau was first coming out of the womb, and Jacob was literally holding on to Esau's foot when Esau came forward. So there was something about Jacob within the womb that uh, illustrated his turmoil and his striving and his desire to always be first. It was right there, even in the womb. By the way, the name Jacob indicates a deceiver, a supplanter, a little bit of a con, con artist element, even to his name. And so time went on, and Esau's the firstborn, so that means he's in line to inherit the family birthright. And Esau loved to hunt. And Esau Esau goes out hunting one day. He comes home absolutely famished. Jacob was a bit of a mama's boy. Esau was a a man's man. And Jacob was in the home with his mama. Esau comes home. Esau is famished. He's starving. And he says to Jacob, hey, can I have some of that beef stew you're making? And Jacob says, yeah, you can have some of the stew. You're kind of hungry, aren't you? And Esau says, I'm really hungry. Jacob says, how hungry are you? I'm famished. I'm about to die. And Jacob says, how about I give you this awesome cuisine that I have prepared all day. And all you've got to do, Esau, is hand over the rights of the firstborn. And Esau despising his birthright in a moment of a carnal appetite said you got it bring me the beef stew you can have the birthright I just want to eat now the writer of Hebrews tells us that after Esau finished that bowl he really regretted what he did but it was too late so Jacob has conned his brother taken advantage of his weakness and gotten that birthright but it goes even further because attached to the birthright there needs to be the blessing of the father and so later on when Isaac is about to die, his eyes have gone blind, he can't see, he's very frail, he feels like he's about to die. Um, he calls in Esau and he says, Esau, I'm about to die. I think I'm getting near the end of my days. I wanna give you my blessing. So go out and kill a deer, bring it back, make me some of that scrumptious stuff that I love to eat and after that I'm gonna bless you. Well, what Esau didn't know is his mama was listening. And his mama did what unwise parents do. Uh, She played the favorite. Her favorite was Jacob. Isaac's favorite was Esau. It was a dysfunctional family, by the way. We think that's a new thing. It's not a new thing. I mean, all the way back in the day, you've got dysfunction and parents playing favorites. And so what happened here was that Rebecca said to Jacob, Jacob... The blessing is coming tonight you listen to me do exactly what i tell you i want you to go skin a goat i want you to wrap your arms in goat hair i want you to um pretend that you're esau sneak into your father he can't see this is a terrible wife by the way sneak into your father and deceive him i want that blessing to fall on you i don't want it to fall on your brother so jacob goes into isaac later on that day he's got the food isaac says he can't see remember he can't see He says, mm, that smells good. Come here and bring me the food. And Jacob says, I'm coming, Father. And Isaac says, hold up a second. Who is this? Who are you? What's your name? And he says, I'm Esau. And Jacob, Isaac says, come a little bit closer. And so Jacob, pretending to be Esau, comes closer And Isaac reaches out his hand and feels it because Esau was hairy. I guess he was kind of Italian or something. He was was real hairy. And he feels the goat hair on Jacob's arm. He says, well, it feels like Esau, but the voice sounds like Jacob. He says, tell me again, who are you? And Jacob says, I am Esau. He adopts a false identity in that moment. He denies who he is in order to get what he wants out of life and he enters into a willful deception about who he is. He ends up getting the blessing from his father Isaac, and then when Esau finds out about it, he says, I'm going to kill my brother, literally. So Jacob had to flee his home. He never saw his mother again. He goes to a foreign land, and he ends up the son-in-law of a guy that is far more shrewd and cunning and deceiving than Jacob was. How many of you know it's a biblical principle? What goes around? There we go. So let's go a little bit further. I gave you all of that to set the backdrop to let you know Jacob is about to spend 20, maybe 21 years reaping what he sowed. He steps out of his God-given identity because his appetites to be first place, to win, to have the blessing, even though it was spiritual stuff, he wanted good stuff, but, but we need to recognize, uh, we can go about to procure God's stuff the wrong way. And that's what Jacob did, and so here it comes. Now, let's get down beyond the precursors, now let's get to the actual wrestling match. Here's the pain. The pain in the slam starts in verse 22. It begins with Jacob like it does with a lot of people who are living out outside of their identity that they have in the Lord. Jacob finds himself isolated from others. Look at verse 22. It says that he took his family and he sends them across the stream and everything else that he had, and here's the words, and Jacob was alone. We're 20, 21 years from the time where he stole Esau's blessing from Isaac. 21 years have passed. Jacob has been living in toil. He's been living in frustration. He fell in love with a girl, and this was just the way that culture worked back then. In order to get permission to marry the girl, he had to work seven years for her, but his father-in-law was a slick dude. And this sounds really weird. I'm going to keep it G-rated because of young ears in the room. But on the wedding night, I guess she was covered head to toe, but in the wedding tent at the time of consummation, the father-in-law pulled back the daughter that Jacob wanted to marry and slipped in his other daughter. So Jacob wakes up the morning after the honeymoon looks over and says, oh no this is not who I thought it was he goes to his father-in-law and he says uh what happened here and the father-in-law says I know that you love Rachel but Leah really needed a husband and if you want Rachel I'll let you marry her but you got to work seven years for her 14 years of working for the woman that he loved come on fellas up your game come on 14 years, and so he works another seven years, so his father-in-law is conniving him. Then he enters into a cattle business with his father-in-law, and his father-in-law is playing games again. What is Jacob doing? Jacob is learning what it feels like to be deceived, to be cheated. How many of you know God will send difficult people into your life as a reflection of how you are to others sometimes? Yeah, that's not a popular thought, but it is true. And so Jacob is... Is now 21 years older. He's done okay in business, but it's been a pain in order for him to succeed. He's been tricked by his father-in-law. He's now at a place where he says, I don't want to be around my father-in-law and, that, and my brothers-in-law anymore. And so he has packed up all of his family, all of his stuff, and he's moving back towards his homeland when he gets word that Esau, his long lost brother, is hunting him down a matter of fact, a messenger comes and says, uh, we just heard that your brother is on his way with three or four hundred men, and they are steaming towards us right now. So what does Jacob do? Jacob looks at his family and says, I'm going to send you all a different way. It's going to be, we're going to have to split up. They're coming after me. I don't want you guys to suffer for my sins against my brother Esau long ago. Y'all go this way, I'll go this way. And the Bible says when he sent them on the way, it was getting dark, and he was all alone. That is the eventual place that all of us find ourselves when we don't know who we are in the Lord. When we find that we are living outside of our God-given identity, we step into some form of isolation, aloneness. When you don't know who you are, you live in a constant in-and-out state of dysfunction within dysfunctional relationships without it's not that Jacob didn't have happy spots in his life he did he had two wives he had 11 kids Gabe's trying to catch up with him I think y'all are on number nine And, and and it's like big family pretty successful business but he was living a lie he was living outside of who God had called him to be and he hadn't been doing it for a week he'd been doing it for 21 years and the end result is that God is about to bring Jacob into a place of accounting, but before God can get to Jacob's heart to give him his identity, he had to get him utterly alone. Um, I could testify here. I, I'm, I don't have enough time to do it, but I will tell you this. Sometimes our alone seasons, sometimes our seasons of solitude, Sometimes those moments where we look around and not only do we recognize, man, nobody gets me. Nobody quite grasps what I'm wrestling with here. The deeper reality is sometimes we don't get us. We don't know who we are. We don't know what's going on inside of us. But I want to tell you, don't despair. Don't don't flip out. Don't shut down because if you are in Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 50 or 70, but if you've never had this moment where God's gotten you alone and he's taken away all of the distractions and he's taken away all of the things that have some importance but not the most importance, then if he's getting you alone, it's not because he's going to scold you. He's actually going to reveal himself to you and in doing so he's going to reveal you to you. And it'll bring you to a place where you get to say yes to what he has for you. So let's see what that looks like in Jacob's life. So he's all alone and then we see Jacob's conflict with God beginning at the end of verse 24. It's just kind of sudden. It's written as sudden as it must have happened. It just says he was all alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day and when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. I'm just going to stop there. So, Jacob's all alone. He sends his family. I want you to picture the scene. That's a, that's, I don't, I don't want to just bypass this. Use your sanctified imagination. This is not a fable or a fairy tale. This really happened. This is a real man. His brother is apparently coming to kill him. That's what he's at least been told. His past is catching up with him. He's now in the middle of nowhere, his wives and his servants and his children are all heading on without him. He's all alone. It's absolute. And then out of nowhere some dude pounces on him. Um, What we're going to find out, Jacob may have thought it was just some dude, but by the end of this passage he finds out that he's actually wrestling with the Son of God. This is what we call a Christophany. It is what theologians will describe as a pre-incarnate Manifestation of Jesus. That's a big $5 phrase. But all that means is the Son of God 2,000 years ago became Jesus of Nazareth, the baby born in a manger. But prior to becoming Jesus of Nazareth, the baby in the manger, the Son of God took on visible forms in the Bible. And here it is pictured as a man wrestling with Jacob. This is, if I can say it this way, this is Jesus before he's Jesus. This is Jesus taking on the form of a man and moving in because he's going to wrestle some false identity out of Jacob and he's going to wrestle some true identity into him. Notice the form that it comes. It doesn't come in a conversation. It doesn't come in a song. It doesn't come in a sermon. It comes in a wrestling match. The picture is pretty obvious here. The the reality is that identity sometimes, God has to pin us to get it into us. He has to wrestle us, he has to bring us to the end of our own strength. He has to bring us to that place where we acknowledge, uncle, I'm defeated, I'm broken, my strength is gone, I can't beat you. Now in Jacob's life we, we find this, This wrestling match represents our own matches with God when he desires to pin us in his will and breaking us of our stubbornness, our striving, and bringing each of us into full or fuller surrender with him. But interestingly, Jacob is so dependent on himself. He's the type of person that has always and only relied on himself. He's got destiny over his life, but he doesn't trust God, he trusts in himself. God would have brought Jacob into the birthright, but Jacob didn't want to wait on God's process. Jacob schemed in the flesh to figure out how to get the blessing of his father, Isaac. And so everything about Jacob was this, he wanted what was good and right from God, but he didn't want to trust God to have to get it. He wanted to make it happen. That happens all the time, by the way, in modern days. It's it's the picture of the Christian who who, in one part of her heart, she wants to worship, she wants to praise, she wants to glorify God, she wants to live and surrender. But in the other part of her heart, she's lured by the world saying, You've got to have security, you've got to have money you've got to have a name, you've got to provide, you've got to protect, you've got to do all of these things. And so instead of not leaning onto her own understanding, she refuses to put her trust in God. She doesn't believe that He'll direct her paths. And so she takes on the ownership of having to manage her whole life by herself. And then she goes to church on Sunday and lifts up hands to God and says, you're worthy. But she's got a divided heart. Now I'm not being critical, I'm just being observational. I'm just saying I, I've, I've been pastoring long enough to where I've seen this so many times and I've wrestled with it in my own heart, because the church, we, 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 have, we have proclaimed Jesus, but the, the kind of the default message is still, in so many places, um, you know, the racist to the swift. And you've got to look out for number one. And you got to take care of your business. And you, above all things, you got to be responsible horizontally with all the demands of life. And, and it's okay. You just do all those things. And don't forget to show up on Sunday and pay your tithe and sing your praises. And that's just religion, man. That's not the identity that God has for any of us. And so part of Jacob's false identity was that he never yielded to anybody. He trusted himself. He's a schemer. Truth be known, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he had lived that way for a really, really long time. So this long wrestling match that began in the night and lasted until the sun was starting to come up, it pictures, I mean, my thought is this. Couldn't God have just shown up, picked him up, and slammed him down and the match is over? And then, then lectured him? God could have done that. That's the way a lot of you know religious people would do it. But God let the wrestling match go on all night long. What's the point in that? It's the same way he does you and me. He can flip the switch and make you 100% obedient right now. He can sanctify you. He can fill you. He can glorify you. He can make you walk on water. He can make you the most amazing Christian filled with Bible knowledge, signs, wonders, miracles, all of that stuff. He can do it right now. He doesn't need anybody's help. But that's not the way he operates. You know why? Why? he wants you to want what he has for you. He wants you to press into him. Why? Because he's, he actually doesn't need any help running the universe. The Lord's not up there saying, man, if I could just get that person on the fifth row to get their act together. Some of y'all are counting seats right now. On the fifth row to get their act together, then the kingdom would work. That's not what he's doing. He can make all that happen. You see, God's not worried about the outcome. What God is interested in is he loves you. He wants to participate with you. He wants you to step into what he's got because it's good for you. And so what does he do? He'll let you wrestle with him all night long, all week long, all year long, all decade long, multiple decades. Why? Because some of us are hard-headed and we don't know how to cry uncle. We still think we can get out of that hold that he's got us in. We still think that we can go through the maneuvers of living under an assumed identity and still gain God's blessing. And so God let Jacob go all night long wrestling. Now, how many of you guys out there, y'all had brothers and you fought with your brothers? Anybody in the room? Wow, I would have fought more. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I didn't have brothers, but I had, like, I had like neighborhood brothers. And you had to get in at least three or four fights a summer. Or you lost your credibility in my neighborhood. And so we, we've we fought all the time and I remember fighting David Potter in nineteen seventy-nine eighty. And I yeah, I'm old, that's right. I, I remember fighting him, and that fight must have lasted three hours. I mean, it was long. Now, a lot of it was us catching our breath, but a lot of it was wrestling, grappling, punching, yelling. Cursing, we, were doing, we just went after it. And I remember how exhausted I was. He won the fight, by the way. He was bigger and older than me, but that's okay. He'll apologize in glory one day, but he beat me. And I just remember at the end of it being exhausted. Well, Jacob had me and Mr. Potter beat. We were, we were a few hours. Jacob was all night long, and he was wrestling the Son of God. So how does it end? We'll go down into verse number 25. Jacob got a wound in the wrestling match. The Bible says that the man touched Jacob's hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So in the end, when the Lord was done, when the Lord saw it was the best time, it did. It only required one final touch from from Jacob's opponent that day. And when God touched Jacob's hip, it immediately fell out of joint and Jacob's strength was removed. Now, for all intents and purposes, at that moment, the wrestling match is over. Again, God could have done this in the very first minute of the fight, but part of what the lesson needed to be to Jacob is, Jacob, you're, you're, you can't win every battle your way. Jacob, you have limited resources. You've got limited strength. You've got limited intellect. You've got limited time. Jacob, you are not ultimately the person you need to be relying on. That's Jacob the schemer. That's Jacob the deceived one. That's Jacob who's living unto his own glory, making things happen in his own strength. And part of what God wanted Jacob to experience that night was the, the breaking of Jacob's will. Friends, listen. God will do what is required to remove our spiritual strutting. There's no strutters in heaven. There's no swag in heaven. There's no chest thumping. There's, there's, there's no, you know, they're not up there writing songs about themselves. Heaven is empty of pride. The last person, the last being that tried to get prideful in heaven got evicted from heaven and got renamed Satan. He was Lucifer, A prized angel who started feeling prideful about who he was and God said I'm not having any of that and he got evicted from heaven Jacob has a destiny on him and that destiny could not include constant self-reliance can I just give a word here some of you are brilliant and I'm not being flattering I'm just in a room this size there's brilliant people in the room some of you are extremely successful some of you are beautiful some of you are strong Some of you have zeal and intelligence and wisdom and experience and education, and there's nothing wrong with those things. All those things are fine unless they become your identity. Unless your strength becomes the core of who you are and what you're doing in life, all those things are fine unless that happens. And when that happens, and by the way, it never happens, rarely, I won't say never, but it's not been my experience that most people wake up one day and say, I'm going to keep God on the peripheral, and I'm going to make myself the core of all of my trust and all of my strength and all of my security. It just happens over time. And nobody knows that it's happened to them until God shows up one night and says, we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle. Because you think it's about you. I know what you say on Sunday. I know what you sing during the week. I know what you tell everybody. But the only way I can bring you in your identity is I'm going to touch you in the place where it will break you. Now, a lot of people don't like that because a lot of people think that God is a glorified bellhop. And he's up there just to, just to wait and whatever you want, he brings it to you because he's God and he's good. And people say, well, Jesus paid it all, therefore nothing negative can happen to me. You better read your Bible. I don't know, I feel I feel some resistance on that this morning. I'll wrestle you too, right now, come on. <laughs> the reality is we're wrestling for righteousness, we're wrestling for completeness, we're wrestling for wholeness, we're wrestling for our identity. And so what happened was Jacob got physically incapacitated and God pinned him physically, but now God had to break him inwardly because look at verse number 25. You see, Jacob got wounded in the wrestling, but he still hadn't quit. Jacob had to confess in the crushing. Here's verse 25. So the Lord says to him, let me go, for the day has broken. Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And here it comes, verse 27. All right, then, tell me your name. Tell me your name. And Jacob said, I'm I'm Jacob. Now let's just pause there for a moment. So Jacob's jacked up physically, but he's still holding on. He's still clinging. He still just won't let the Lord win. He he just, I mean, and part of me admires his tenacity. And maybe when you think you're fighting flesh on flesh, maybe you need to be tenacious, but he's wrestling with God. It's just a matter of time, Brother Jacob. You're going to lose, man. But he won't let go. But notice this. The Lord says, just let me go. And Jacob says, I think this is where Jacob's starting to realize, oh, I am not wrestling Esau. I'm not wrestling some some bandit. He says, I'm wrestling somebody that can bless me. I think he starts seeing right here that this is the Lord, or this is at the very least an ambassador from heaven. And so he wants that blessing. He stole it originally. But now he's in the presence of God and he still wants what is right, but he's been broken now, he's been pinned now, and now he's contending for the blessing. And he's saying, I'm pinned, my hip hurts, I'm not going to win, but I'm not letting go until I get the blessing the right way. I love that. So this is just us. I want you to exhale here because the idea that you're going to be the perfect Christian got ruined a long time ago. Okay? So he's not up there with this clipboard grading you. This is not finals exam. This is you living your life in a relationship with the one who loves you, but he loves you so much he's not going to let you live out a lesser identity than what he's provided for you. And so Jacob finally says, I do want your blessing. I've wasted these years and I've tried it my own way and I've, I've, I've come to this place where I'm all alone and I just I need your touch on me. The touch you just put on me actually wounded me. Now give me the touch that will bring me to wholeness. He says, bless me. But before the Lord can, the, this is just the way the Lord works. He says, okay, let's get honest first. Can you tell me your name? The last time in Scripture, I think it was like five chapters earlier, that anybody asked Jacob his name, it was blind Isaac. And Jacob lied. He said, I'm Esau. God's not blind. God's been watching Jacob for 20 years, living on the run because he, he adopted a false identity in, in order to steal a blessing. So this is just what God does. God will wait 20 years... To just resume a conversation with you that you opted out of 20 years before. I mean, that's just the way the Lord is. He's not being mean. He's just saying, Jacob, you still haven't repented. You, you, you're still living from that moment of lying about who you are. Someone will give you a chance. Do you remember what Jesus did with Peter? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus look at Peter and get him to confess Jesus's lordship, confess his love for Jesus? So the Lord will always take you back to the place where you left off from him, and he'll meet you there. It's not for judgment. It's just God can't bless our hypocrisy. He can't. That doesn't make him bad. It actually reveals that he's good. And so he says, Jacob, what's your name? And Jacob says, I'm the deceiver. I'm Yaakov. I'm I'm Jacob. I'm a deceiver. It's his confession of who he actually is. When he's independent from God and that's all God was waiting for and so we find in that moment that the, the lesson that God cannot impart our identity to us unless we get radically honest about who we are and where we are right now and we can play games with each other we shouldn't but we can and you can fool me all day long I'm just one of those guys that likes to believe the best about people whenever I can and I get fooled sometimes But none of us get to fool God. And why would we want to? You know, in 1994, and I've been talking about this a lot lately, I think it's because in August I'll be 25 years in Jesus. 25 years. But I remember in 1994, on that day where he saved me, I was so miserable. I was empty. I was addicted. I was in the chains of substances and alcohol and immorality and Just a terrible, terrible life. And by the way, I thought I was a Christian. I did, because I prayed the prayer. But I never met him, and I certainly had never met me. And on that day, where the Lord met me, he touched me, and it changed the way I walked forever. We're going to see that about Jacob. I'm almost done. And for the first time in my life, I got radically honest about who I was. Lord, I am a drunk Lord I am addicted to a lot of stuff Lord I am I am a slave and eventually God had to bring me to a place and he says yeah and Jeff but you you say you're a Christian I was like well Lord I believe in your son the Lord took me to Matthew 7 where a lot of people said hey I've done this for Jesus I've done this for Jesus I've done this for Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says Yeah, but we've never met. I don't know you. And I didn't want to admit that. There was so much pride in me because I thought that little prayer I prayed when I was nine and then I got baptized at 14 in the water and I was holding on to that and that was what God had to wrestle away from me, that I was holding on to a religious experience and an empty hope and I'm I'm saying no to his present offer in that day of radically changing my life. My wrestling match lasted solid for a decade, but he won, and because he won, I won. Because he pinned me, he also raised me, and friends, that is what has to happen, but it can't happen apart from you saying, this is who I am today, but I want to be who you want me to be tomorrow, and it's not just about salvation, it's about life, who are you as a Christian in the kingdom? Because you get to be somebody I never get to be. God says no to me on things that He says yes to you about. And He wants to ass- assign you the identity of, I am first and foremost, I am a daughter of God Almighty. I am a son of God Almighty. And from that core, your life begins to flow. And so for Jacob, he says, my name's Jacob, I'm the deceiver. So, here comes the power from the slam. The power from the slam. Jacob receives a renewed identity. God looks at him and he says, I've been waiting to hear that for 20 years. He says, your name will no longer be called Jacob. I'm giving you a new name. Your name is Israel. 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 Some of you are hearing for the very first time where the nation of Israel got her name. The nation of Israel today got her name from this moment because Jacob's descendants became Israel. But it didn't happen. Destiny didn't unfold in Jacob's life until he acknowledged that he had been living outside of that destiny. And that's when God said, that's all I've been waiting for. And it wasn't just Jacob who got changed. It was the history of humankind, a whole nation. And so God gives them a new identity. Now, your name may look the same on your Social Security card and your driver's license when you find your identity in Jesus, but I'm going to tell you something, it will be different as far as your relationship with the Lord. You'll feel brand new, amen? I got brand new in 1994, and I haven't regretted it since. But Jacob also experienced an expanded capacity. This is why God called him Israel, the The etymology of the word Israel, people debate on it, but here's where God connects it. He says, I'm calling you Israel for you have striven or wrestled with God and men and have prevailed. You've wrestled with God and you've wrestled with man and today, even though I pinned you, you have just won your victory, Jacob. I love this, by the way, because the angel of the Lord, it's it's the pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. the, The Lord that he wrestled with says, Yeah, you've been wrestling your uncle, or excuse me, your father-in-law. You've been wrestling your brothers-in-law. You've been wrestling Esau. You wrestled Isaac. You've been wrestling men your whole life. Tonight you wrestled me. You lost, but in losing, you won. But I'm going to tell you something. Your name now is connected to the fact that you have prevailed. You've won. I'm going to give you this. Some of you really still think you're wrestling against people. That's not your primary, primary wrestling match. Jacob was wrestling all those people because he refused to wrestle with God and, and cry uncle. Some of the people that you're wrestling with in life, they're not sent by the devil. You think, oh man, the devil keeps sending these people into my life. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's God sending these people into your life like a mirror so you can look at these people and one day receive the conviction, oh, how they are to me, that's the way sometimes I am to him. Yeah, this isn't fun, but this is healthy. you got to eat your broccoli sometimes, amen? And, And so here he is, and he's saying, yep, you've wrestled against men, you've wrestled against God, but today you've prevailed, I'm giving you a new name. And then Jacob asked him, Jacob says, mm, he's expressing this inner curiosity in verse 29. Jacob says, will you tell me your name? And the Lord says, why are you asking my name? What does that mean? He's like, Jacob, you know who I am. You just asked me to bless you. You know who I am. And he blessed him. Jacob had gone through the wrestling match he had repented of living under a false identity. He had been given a new ad- identity with the Lord. And now he is experiencing for the first time a mutual awareness that he's in the presence of God. God is in his presence. And God says, let me take this moment and I'm gonna bless you. And we're not told exactly what the blessing is, but we, we do see that he actually, he actually blessed them. See, when, when God reassigns your identity, your first thing is gonna be, I wanna know you. I want to know you. Tell me more about you. What's your name? What are you like? Who are you? I can't bear to live another day without you because I've learned what life is apart from you. I want to know you, and I don't only want to know you. I want to be blessed by you. And so God blessed them. And in verse 29 to 30, it's very clear, Jacob understands who he met that night. Jacob, he just survives the stunning reality, and he says, I have seen God face to face and I've lived don't miss that when you live on the run when you're living outside of your identity the little nagging voice inside of you says man if I ever have to have a reckoning moment with God I am dead I am in trouble Jacob says I met God and I lived I lived. What does that teach us? Simply teaches us this: when we're not walking in our identity, we forget what God's like. We forget His mercy. We forget His goodness. We forget His grace. We forget His compassion. He's way more patient than you think He is. He's not up there just, you know, the angels are holding him back. Don't destroy her, Lord. Give her another day, Lord. give her an... That's not the way God operates. He's compassionate, He's merciful. And he is ready when you are. And the last verse just simply says this. So the sun rose upon him. He passed Penuel. And he was limping because of his hip. Jacob had a wrestling match with God. Every step he took. I'm not being disrespectful here. I'm just visibly illustrating. Every step he took. Reminded him. That his God came to him in mercy. Pinned him to the ground gave him a new name and gave him a new walk and from that day forward Jacob wasn't perfect but he never forgot who he was and the destiny is that he became the patriarch over Israel I don't know what your identity is I can't give you that nobody else can but the Lord has something for each of us so I'm gonna ask us to stand today